are you having conscious connection? Or are you avoiding something by having a connection? And when I say connection, I mean sex, I mean intimacy, I mean everything that goes into that relationship. And I don't care if it's a one-night stand. It can still be conscious. It can still be connection. So when I look at like sexual immorality, I'm like, that to me is sexually immoral when it's just like bang, 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 like completely unconscious. This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. By integrating experts with real-world anecdotes, Bedside is here to give you insight into the contemporary sex ed we've been waiting for. Brian Stacy is a sexual competence educator, speaker, and CEO of Beam Health, an STD health testing app that guides users to their own sexual well-being with confidence. I first discovered Brian's work at a conference here in New York City. His agenda is to bring taboo dialogue to the forefront of conversation between men. Topics that tap into emotional fluency, fear, desire, and vulnerability. Stacey's work boils down to the role of gender scripts and the unspoken boundaries we all live within. I can't wait to dive into today's interview, where Brian and I uncover his own upbringing, the surprising story which brought him to his work, and the multitude of narratives behind performative masculinity. Stacey breaks all this down for us and more as he offers a whole new outlook and opportunity to rebuild what we, and especially men, have been raised to believe. Thank you. And thank you for that great introduction. Absolutely. I hear all that. I'm like, is that what I'm doing? Yeah, that is what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. We're just talking about real shit. That's Absolutely. what we're doing. It's funny when you run through like accolades, people are like, I went to Harvard. I'm like, yes, you did go to Harvard. <laughs> so yes, thank you for being with me today. I'd love to just jump into how you first got involved in the sex space. Is that something that you were always interested in? I think probably starting at the age of 10-ish. It was certainly something I was interested in, <laughs> right? I can't say that I was comfortable with it for a very long period of time, but yeah, I think all guys have their like first time story. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about discovering this thing that we have between our legs that does something more than just pee. And so if I think about me growing up and the sex education I received, if, if we fast forward past that moment and into like, let's say grade school at some point, I grew up in a Christian household. And it really started with my mom, who, do you remember the group called Boys to Men, a band? Yes. And they have a song, yes. right? I'll Make Love to You. And you might want to tell your listeners to mute this part of it or turn it down because I'm going to sing. I'm not a good singer. But they have a song and it goes, I'll make love to you. you want me to right these are the lyrics and my mom was cool because we'd be driving home from school and she let me listen to boys and men and that song would come on but she would remind me every time that song came on that like i'll make love to you and she would say after you're married so she ad-libbed a little a little boys and men <laughs> oh my for God, me no she did not and so like that was like her level of comfortability in talking about this topic it's what i got 
and I think a, a common story for people is that if they're watching a movie, an R-rated movie, or even a PG-13 movie with their family, and there's kissing going on on the screen, it's like, ah, cover your eyes. Like, this is bad. That's what I grew up with. It was just like, this is bad. This thing, I wouldn't have called it intimacy back then, but this thing that you do with women, with girls, isn't, isn't really okay. And so that was what I grew up with. And how that manifested for me is like when I went to college, I figured out this thing called alcohol. And if I drank that, now this is all unknowingly at the time, it would numb out how I was feeling anxiousness about this thing that I do with women. And then I wouldn't have to talk about it. I could not talk about it before, during, or after. And that worked beautifully for me. Did you have guilt associated with sexual relations, especially in college? Completely. I had sex for the first time in high school. And fast forwarding to the age of about 35, I recognized something. And that is the last time that I had sex with a new partner for the first time, not intoxicated, was that first time when I lost my virginity in high school. Other than that, every single time, alcohol was involved. And so the guilt that you're talking about, you're asking about is, yeah, that was prevalent. And it wasn't just in high school, in college, but it was in like my young professional career and beyond. I can completely empathize with that. I'm curious about your schooling. Did you go to Catholic school? I went to a Lutheran grade school and then I went to a public high school. And so what did sex education in class look like? I remember in grade school, we had one class taught. They separated the boys and girls. The principal, who was a male, came in and taught us sex ed stuff. What I remember from it is what a uncut, flaccid penis looks like, drawn by pencil. Um, by your principal? By the principal. <laughs> I remember one question, because this was a big question for me as a kid, like this whole masturbation thing, because this is something I was doing. And I started masturbating at a fairly young age. Now, most guys... They start masturbating between the ages of 12 and 15. Like I think it's like 70% of people. That's the stat. I started around 10. And I know that I started around that age because it coincided with something else. And I'll get back to the sex ed question here because the sex ed question that popped up for me is around the masturbation. I was like, oh, is this okay? Is this not okay? So the reason I know I was 10 years old is because I went to Canada with my dad. And this was a big deal because he went to Canada with his dad and this was like a rite of passage and we'd go fishing and he loved fishing. And so he was telling me that we drove from Chicago where I grew up all the way up to Canada. It was like a 13-hour drive. And so we get on this lake and we're with a few of his friends and their sons. and It's a kind of fun community type event. And they're talking about these big fish that they'd caught before in the past. And so my dad and I were out there for three days. And on the third day, we hadn't caught any big fish yet. Caught some small ones, but nothing big. And so I remember being in the boat with my dad and praying. Well, my prayer was, is God, I know why we haven't caught any big fish. It's because I masturbate. This is wrong. This is not okay. And I'm sorry. And I'll make you a deal. If you let us catch a big fish, then I will stop masturbating. And at that age, at 10 years old, I was not a very good negotiator. So I went all in with this. And I told <laughs> God that not only I would stop masturbating forever. I would never masturbate again. In my life. In my life, right? And so I say this prayer, I remember it viscerally, because about 15 minutes later, I'm holding the rod and reel in my hand, and zzzz, I get a huge bite, something I had never in my life felt before. And I was so excited. And my dad was so excited. And he's coaching me on how to bring it in. And he's getting the net. And then we catch the fish. And it's huge. It's the biggest, biggest fish I've ever seen in my life. And so I remember, because I wasn't very strong back then, he had to help me pick the fish up. And we took a picture of it. And I could barely hold the thing. And then we put it back in the water. We let it go. We high-fived and had this like awesome father-son moment. 
And it was towards the end of the day, too. So we started heading back on the lake to the dock. And like halfway between like where we caught the fish at and the dock, I remembered my promise. And I was like, oh, shit. Man, this is going to be harder than I actually recognize. Thank you, God, for listening and giving us the fish. That's amazing. But no more masturbating. Okay. So, you know, I promised that it would last forever. It lasted probably about a week. <laughs> but I tell that story because I remember the anxiety that I had around masturbation at a very young age. And when I talk to parents about this, they're like, wait, 10 years old? I have a 13-year-old. I'm like, no, he is most likely in it already. So it's probably a conversation that you should have because in that void of having no conversation, these are the things that creep in. I was never told, don't do this. I was never told this is wrong. But for whatever reason, I felt that. And so going back to sex ed at school and the principal like, talked about masturbation, he was very wishy-washy on whether this was an okay thing or not okay thing. I don't remember the details. I just remember being like, mm, I'm still not sure. And yeah, that was, I think, fourth grade. I think so many people have that experience. And I just remember feeling really anxious about it. We talked a lot about periods, but we didn't really get into like the other things that I was exploring at that age. There's a lot of shame. Yeah, for some reason, we're able to separate, or we do separate intimacy and sex ed, health and clinical, and how do we actually connect with other humans? Like, forget that. It's like a whole other study, a whole other topic. And that's very strange to me as looking back on it, because typically, hopefully, they go together. Did you talk about this at all with your friends? Was there any sort of talking about masturbation? Or even when you got to college, was there any sort of dialogue around your habits? In grade school, I had one friend and we would talk about it. And we were both totally okay with that. Now, Dominic Cortuccio, who I do our podcast with, our Man Amongst Men podcast, we have an event here in New York called The Discerning Dick. It's a live event that typically is held at the assemblage or a private setting. And he's got a very different story. In his high school or grade school and high school, there was shame around masturbating. Like, oh, that guy's a masturbator. <laughs> and so he had a very different upbringing when it came to friends. But me, I had at least one friend that were like, yeah, like this rocks. And by the way, like, let's turn on the scrambled porn and see if we can see an elbow that we think is actually a boob or what have you. So I didn't, at least on the friend front, think it was a weird or strange thing. And then we get a little bit older and into high school and certainly into college, then it becomes more of a machismo, like, check out what I did and who I've been with. And like, that's a whole other story. But yeah, growing up, uh, I did have at least one good friend that I could have this conversation with. I'd love for you to unpack the rhetoric and messaging that you feel like boys and young men have to deal with, right? So where you're saying that Dominic was blaming the masturbators and you find this one friend that you have to talk to because as a female I have a different outlook of this but I'm curious from like a male standpoint what does rhetoric and messaging for most young adults look like you know I thought about this question and the reality is I don't know necessarily what that looks like today growing up we had 2d porn we had magazines that was the holy grail we didn't have social media the only real access to information that we had was through our teachers, through our parents. And also, I'm not a parent. I'm single and don't have any kids. And so I feel like I'm a bit out of touch on what that is today. I also think that if I did have a kid now, I'm more comfortable talking about this subject with them. But not a lot of people have been through what I've been through. And so I think regardless of the information that's out there on the internet, on whatever it may be, if the role models in those children's lives aren't showing their own comfortability, so parents, I'm talking to you specifically, 
like to expect them to be able to grow up in an environment or with a mentality and a belief that this is an okay subject to bring up and talk about if the parents aren't, I think is unrealistic, regardless of what information is out there. I could not agree with that more. I'm curious about your parents' relationship. Let me backtrack here. I have really European parents. My upbringing personally was, we didn't really go into a sex talk, but it was very much like I knew my parents had sex. I knew that they love each other a lot and that it wasn't a taboo thing. So that was kind of my framework. So coming from someone whose mom was literally mad-libbing the song in the car, I'm curious what that as a role model reflected upon you. I know we do have, and certainly there's the U.S. way and the European way and like everything in between. And let me say this, since I have come out publicly talking about these stories, that has kicked up a lot of conversations internally within my family of like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like, what kind of pain am I causing the family? And that part's been really tough to get through. But it's also created some like really beautiful conversations with my mom and dad in particular that allowed me to ask the question like, hey, like this is how I felt upon reflection. I'm not blaming them, but I did ask them like, hey, this is my reflection on the talks that I got, what I believed. Like you, mom, as a kid, what did your mom do? What did your dad do? What kind of talks did you get? And what I'm seeing is this generational thing that is passed along. And until somebody breaks that cycle, it's going to be the same thing over and over. And that can be said of a lot of things in life. I just happen to think this is a really big and important one. And so my grandfather on my mother's side was a pastor. Huge role model in my life. I love this guy. Like, if there are great pastors out there, he was one of them. Love him. Never had a talk with my mom. Like, this was a subject certainly within their household, not, not okay to talk about. And so my mom did her best job that she could with me and my two sisters and in these conversations of bringing it up like the song that I sang in some little way, shape or form. But I could see that she was visibly uncomfortable with this and had some beliefs on her side. And so I have a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion. I'm like, well, where does this stop? I think this is also what I was trying to get at when I was first framing this. I'm curious if this generation has a wall up where they stop. I'm like, is that even hindering their sexuality, their connection and their relationship, even their beliefs that they're passing down? Is there kind of just this halt? I'm like, oh my goodness, are you not connecting to this really amazing part of your pleasure? I wonder about that all the time. You know, I think my dad, he worries about me in terms of what are you doing professionally and are you secure and all these other things that he as a parent and a caring and loving parent is going to naturally feel. I feel that sometimes on the other way. I'm like, do you understand the bliss and the connection that this can and really should be that it's not this mechanical sex sort of thing and like has to be taboo, but it can be beautiful and fluid. And something I hear a lot in the Christian community is that, yes, no sex before marriage, but then in marriage, great, have, it's a beautiful, it's a gift. But that's where it stops. There's like no additional conversation on what is this beautiful thing? It's not what explained. What is it supposed to be? It's not right. explained at all. And just while I'm on the topic, because this is such a pain point for me, when I, when I would go to church, this is like, let's say even in college, I'd go back home and see my parents. I would feel pretty good, like 80% good walking into church. I'm like, you know what? I'm living a pretty decent life. But there are these two things in my life that are clear red marks. One is drinking alcohol, two is sex, and they happen to be related. And so I remember every time I'd walk in the door, I was just like, oh man, this is like, I should say I'm sorry, I should repent, and I should be forgiven, and then I'm going to go out and do it again. But that's the problem, because I want to keep doing it. I don't want to stop. And so I remember having these anxious feelings. And so I have, in my recent history, really looked into what the Bible says. Like, what are the verses? And there's like 30 verses in the Bible that talk about sex. And not one of them, not a single one of them says, do not have sex before you're married. 
So what I look at when I look at this Christian community and a lot of the values and beliefs that are out there, I'm like, where are these actually coming from? Because it doesn't say that. It says a lot of great things about sex. It says a lot of things that it should be and shouldn't be and everything else. And that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I am saying, like, let's interpret what's actually there, not creating our own layer on top of it. Yes. Do your research. That's amazing. You dug into that. Totally. This is a bigger idea, but I think a lot of people just accept messaging that they're given. And there's a ton of misinformation and not to discount religious information. And, you know, I really respect that. But you're doing your due diligence. You're like, where does it say this? I need answers. I need answers. Like, please tell me where I'm wrong here. Because here's here's what popped into my head. We talked about 10-year-old Brian already with the masturbation thing. Well, at some point in my very young childhood, I got horny. I don't remember that first time. Maybe it wasn't the first time I looked at a magazine. Maybe it's the first time I saw a woman walk down there. I don't really remember what it was. But all of a sudden, this biological thing happened where my dick got hard. And I was like, ah! But it was biological. It wasn't something I was trying to do. Like It's like there. So why is it there if we were created in this way? Am I supposed to just completely suppress this and like make it go away? And like what kind of shame and actions does that create? And that's wild to me. Like what the Bible does say, it talks about sexual immorality. It doesn't really define what sexual immorality is, but the way I define that really simply is in today's terms, are you having conscious connection or are you avoiding something by having a connection? And when I say connection, I mean sex, I mean intimacy, I mean everything that goes into that relationship. And I don't care if it's a one night stand, it can still be conscious, it can still be connection. So when I look at like sexual immorality, I'm like, that to me is sexually immoral when it's just like bang, 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 like completely unconscious. And I feel like that's a lot of place that we're at today and it's not as good. And so I think in this case, the Bible is actually steering us in the right direction to say, hey, like if you're gonna have this beautiful gift, which it is, do it in a way that's conscious. Absolutely. Be cognizant of it. I'll get off my soapbox now. Okay. That was Preacher Brian. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so based off all this cultural messaging, I'd love to hear from you in your own terms. What is it that you're passionate about creating? What are you building here? I know I did a little intro, but I'd love for you to talk to us about that in your own way. If there's one thing that I'm here on earth to do is to shine a light on things that are obvious to all of us and apparently not allowed to talk about. And that's it. Because I think that the stories that we've already told here on this podcast, if I was just comfortable talking about these things with family, with friends, with teachers, I feel like a lot of that anxiety, a lot of the behaviors that came out after that would have dissipated. And I believe that when people understand what their purpose is here on earth, that builds a lot of confidence. It builds a lot of direction, a lot of momentum. And when we don't have that, especially, and I'll speak for like the men, I do a lot of men's work. I feel like when a man is lost in purpose or hasn't identified what that is, we get distracted by pleasure seeking. And then it's a taking game. It's a give me sort of game in sex. If you don't have a purpose, like what a great default purpose. I mean, it's something that feels good. We can't control. It's immediate gratification. It becomes this thing. And I can't tell you, including myself, how many guys have spent the amount of time money, dedication to this thing we call sex. And so I just wonder if we didn't have all this anxiety around sex and intimacy and connection, what else would we be creating in this world? Because that energy, that, that sexual energy, like that is quite literally, biologically, our creative energy. And so if we can make that clean, if we can make that whole, we can make that what it's supposed to be, what else are we going to produce that's amazing in the world, including the relationships we have? Thank you. You're continuing Preacher Brian and I'm loving <laughs> this. What else can we create in this world if we just let our sexual energy be, if we're comfortable with that, right? Because that will let you get to your fullest potential, your highest potential. Yeah, I mean, I run an event here with Dominic called The Discerning Dick. 
Like sometimes I wonder myself, I'm like, why do I spend so much time thinking about dick? And I've been doing it for a long time. Like this is like 10 year old Brian, like all the way through 38 year old Brian has been thinking about his dick a lot. And I'm like, is that the best use of my time? Maybe I should be go building skyscrapers or taking care of world peace or something like that. But like, I feel for me in my life, it was such a pain point. And it's like, if we can get rid of that, that pain point for everybody, wow. Like that means we can really focus and enjoy it. So you weren't always on this track though. What brought you to getting involved in this work? We're always getting lessons in life. And sometimes they hit us like a feather and we ignore it. And sometimes it hits us like a two by four across the shoulder and we're like, ooh, that hurt, but like whatever. And sometimes it hits us like a Mack truck, like boom, you have no choice but to pay attention. And I had a Mack truck that hit me. At the age of 30, I was single. I was traveling for work. I was working at Accenture as a consultant. I was doing consulting work at the FBI, like really, really enjoying my job, enjoying my life. And I loved nothing better than like a happy hour, a bachelor party, a trip to Vegas for work is like the combination of both of them is great. I was living that life. And I was in Chicago with my family for Thanksgiving. And I stayed a long weekend. I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And so I'm in Chicago now. I leave on a Tuesday to fly back to D.C. to go to work on Wednesday. And there was this pain that I had felt. And I had felt that pain for about a three-month period. And I did what a lot of guys do in that situation. where I just did nothing. I was like, hey, I'll go away. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I've had some pain down there before. Maybe I hit my nut on a table when I was walking by, and I don't really know what's going on. But like my left testicle was hurting me. And finally, when I got back on that Wednesday into D.C., after three months of feeling this, called a friend of mine who was a urologist. And I was like, hey, man, like, there's this thing. It hasn't gone away. What do you think? And at this point in time, I'm putting my suit on. I'm getting ready to go into work. And he's like, Brian, we need to get you into the hospital today. I'm like, nah, 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 it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. We can take care of this whenever. He's like, no, this could be a big deal. And you need to go in and see somebody. So he's a smart guy and a urologist, kind of knows this stuff. So I said, okay, that's what finally got me in to get checked out. And when I was, I was diagnosed with both testicular cancer and chlamydia on the same day. And so for me, that was a huge wake-up call. I had a lot of questions, of course, like, oh, my God, cancer. I have cancer? Like, what are my chances of survival? And when I found out that my chances of survival were about 96%, I was feeling pretty good about those odds. But I had a lot of other questions. What's a guy with one nut like? Will people think I'm kind of strange? Like, can I still perform sexually? Like, can I still have kids? What is all this? And by the way, I had never been tested for STDs before. And I was 30. I had never been tested for STDs. And then I had this thing, chlamydia, and they told me to take a couple pills and that would go away. So the chlamydia almost got drowned out by the cancer in this situation. But it was also something I'm like, wait, like, how did I get this? Who gave it to me? Have I been sleeping around too much? Have I been using condoms? I guess kind of inconsistently. I was living in this external existence. And this was the first time. I say it's a wake-up call because the wake-up call for me was like, wait a second, I need to take a look inside and see what's going on here. Now, I'm still at this stage, like having sex, still very uncomfortable talking about it. And so when this whole thing happened with my nut, that sent me down an entire path. I knew that this was a topic that I was going to have to discuss in some way, shape, or form. I had to tell work about it. Anybody that I was dating, I had to tell them. Of course, I had to tell my family about it. So when I went through chemotherapy, I decided to write a blog about my whole situation. And that, for me, was, again, deflecting what was actually going on because I knew I was going to get questions. It wasn't me being super open. And so anytime somebody came to me with a question, I said, go to the blog. Check it out. Check it out. And what happened is a lot of people did that. Then they came back to me and started telling me their own stories of their sexual health, insecurities, questions that they had. And I was like, wow, this feeling that I've had my entire life and only kicked up because I went through this cancer thing. Other people are having this too. This is wild. Like, why don't we talk about this more? 
when you made your post, did you mention chlamydia as well? Or was it only about cancer? Oh, great question. Because I said nothing about chlamydia. I only discussed the cancer because cancer, right? That's not your fault. Cancer is shit. You can even get empathy for that. I and mean, they call it a cancer card for a reason. But chlamydia, that's on you. That's you on did you. something bad. You got chlamydia. You had premarital sex. And you're in trouble for it. So I didn't mention anything for years. And the first time I did mention it publicly, and this is a bit embarrassing, is I didn't start down this path. I just felt as though this was interesting conversation that I was having with people about their own sexual health experiences, and I left it at that. I was happy to talk to people about my cancer experience. But when I decided, and we'll go into why we created Beam, the sexual health company that I run, I was like, you know what? I'm not telling the full story. And if I'm talking about truth and transparency here, like maybe I should. <laughs> And so the first time I said anything publicly about cancer and chlamydia, it was recorded and my parents got it. And they're like, what was that word you said after cancer? I'm like, oh, chlamydia. And so even at that point, and this is maybe three years ago now, I still wasn't really comfortable talking about this stuff. But that was my transition. That was my pivot from like not talking at all through like a fairly long journey. So there was an initiation point, which was cancer and chlamydia, but it still took years, like four-ish, five-ish years to get comfortable talking about this. And that, again, is just the stigmas that come with STDs, where cancer happens to you, but actually STDs happen to you too. I have dialogue with people about how at the end of the day, an STD is a statistic and no matter how much precaution you take, you could have the safest sex, use all the protection that you have, and you can still contract sexually transmitted diseases and infections. And I think that people assume that STDs are so dirty and that you must be a dirty person to be contracting this, but it's just like cancer. The chances are the same, right? I don't know about the statistics. At least testicular cancer is about 1% of guys. I think what you're saying as far as STDs being something, yes, there is some sort of contact that needs to happen for an STD to occur. I think the question is, are we shaming that contact? <laughs> because that's when, when we're saying, like, I was uncomfortable talking about chlamydia. That's what we're talking about. And it's like, hmm, that seems strange. Like, maybe Brian wasn't protected, but, like, why is that such a big deal? And the word that you use, dirty, oh, like, let's talk about that because, like, I hear that all the time. There's a woman on YouTube, you can find her, Laureen, L-A-U-R-E-E-N-H-D, and she has herpes too, genital herpes, and she talks about what it's like living, being single with herpes, the disclosure and dating and what that looks like, and one of the things she talks about is this word dirty, and she's like, I take showers. She's like, I brush my teeth. I I'm not a dirty person because I have fucking herpes. Unfortunately, the name of my company, Beam, kind of rhymes with clean. And people are like, oh, like, yeah, you're beam clean. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here. The clean, dirty, like, let's lose Eliminate that lexicon that altogether. Canceled. Right. But here's what I found. People, including myself, don't like talking about STDs. It's like, yes, yeah, so we can destigmatize HSV2, herpes2, we can talk about HIV. I get all that. It doesn't light me up. It doesn't get me excited. It's something that I'm somewhat fearful of. It's something that I have to avoid and I want to avoid and not really talk about. So how do we do it? What can we talk about that is interesting to us? That's a feeling that we all actually do want to feel. And what I've learned in the beautiful intro that you gave me, say I'm a sexual confidence educator. You can even drop the sexual thing because I feel like when we get to that place of confidence, that's that what we're all after. The sexual health stuff becomes a byproduct of that. Because I'm confident and sure of what my purpose is, I'm going to take care of my body. I'm going to go to bed on time. I'm going to get enough sleep. I'm going to eat the right amount of food. I'm going to work out here and there. And you know what? I'm going to take care of my sexual health. 
And so I think all of this, the conversation of like, hey, Tatiana, have you been tested recently? Because I've been tested recently. Great. I think that all comes from that same place of being like, hey, I'm a healthy individual. And that's it. Sex ed can teach us about HSV2 and chlamydia and gonorrhea and what that is. We don't need to go much further than that for all of us. But to be confident in who we are and why we are and care about the connection that's in front of us, it becomes an obvious conversation. I think that's the path and that's the path that we're on and why you're doing this podcast. I know we talked about beforehand why I'm doing the work that I'm doing because like to get to that level. I'm really curious about your work with the discerning dick. You've mentioned your business partner, Dominic. I know that you guys do a ton of workshops and gatherings. Tell me about that. I'm so curious. It started with Dominic and I just getting together on weekends and grabbing a coffee and talking about what's up in our lives. And we started to realize that we had a lot of similar stories from our past. How do we get introduced to porn? We had a whole weekend discussion on that. When I say weekend, I mean like a couple hours over coffee. Then he had just turned 40 and he noticed a dip ever so slight, as he likes to call it, in his sexual performance and desire and everything else. And so what he was on a mission to do at that point was avoid the blue pill. He's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, at the age of 40, I don't want to be hitting the blue pill. That's Viagra, everyone. Exactly, right. And so he's like, you know, what is it? Like, what can I be doing in my life emotionally, physically, to get to a place where I don't have to rely on that? So he did a bunch of research and went out to groups on Facebook. There's a particular one called the Kaleidoscope. And that's a great sex positive community where all kinds of questions are pumped in there and people provide great answers. So he went there. He was asking what people were doing. And there was answers, everything from Tantra to pill, natural herbal things. Something called shockwave therapy that you can do physically to your dick to help with performance and understand. Right? I don't like that name either. Shockwave is a little scary when it comes to penises. But he found out all this information. So he said, Brian, I got an idea. I found out all this information. You've been talking about this for a couple of years. And every guy, and he was also running a men's group separately. And they talked about all kinds of topics. He's like, but nobody's really talking about the dick stuff. And we grow up in life with all these influences around faith and family and friends. And we create these beliefs and these habits like masturbation, like porn, that we never really go back and inspect. We never really go back and explore. And I think that's causing a lot of trauma in life. And one piece of trauma, just one, and Tatiana, you could probably list a thousand things that this has caused. But one of those is we noticed a lot of the guys that were in the group that were married didn't have what they would call a satisfying sex life. And so Dominic and I, as two single guys, said like, oh shit, is this just the ultimate conclusion that everybody gets to or not? Because that sounds kind of shitty. And so we said, let's open up a space to do this. And so we held the first discerning dick at the assemblage on 25th Street. And we started talking about just the influences people had on the beliefs that they currently hold when it comes to penis. Because we're given this thing, and he likes to call it the codes to like a nuclear bomb between our legs with no instructions. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, you know what? Maybe it's time to look at the instruction manual. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of conversations and topics come up within these gatherings? Is there something that you feel like is a reoccurring topic? There's a lot of reoccurring topics, and we let these come up organically. We don't have them planned out for months or anything like that. But one thing, when we were looking at the spaces to do this in, we found the assemblage, and we were like, hey, like this has always been a men's group, and we didn't, never had women as part of this conversation, so it's a bit of an echo chamber. And so we opened it up in that space, in this public space, and we've had more women in attendance. Sometimes it was 75, 25 women to men. Recently, it's gone to about 60, 40 women to men, but women are very interested in this conversation and has provided some great input. And what's been amazing to watch, what we were worried about is like, are guys going to be real or are they going to be performing? 
Or did they not want to like touch on the wrong subjects or like step on the wrong toes? And what we found is that in those moments, the guys that have come have been truly honest. I mean, one guy got up there and talked about he's married and he said on the train ride over, he's like, I just saw all these butts on the train and I just wanted to put my face in them. It was very raw. And a lot of women were like, oh my God. (laughs) But also, wow, that's really what you're thinking. Okay, like that's interesting. So the topics that have come up over and over again, what are the patterns that we have in our lives that we haven't inspected? We've talked about some of those already around masturbation and porn, but it goes deeper than that. We have a podcast on something that we call Drift. And like, what are those areas in our lives that we just get into this hypnotic rhythm of and just keep going and keep going and keep going? And that could be, say if you're a student, wake up, you maybe have a, a bowl of cereal, you go to class, come back, you read, you do some homework, maybe you hit up happy hour. You fall asleep, you do the same thing all over again. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. And then like fast forward that 15, 20, 25 years. And so what we start to expect are like, what are those areas in our lives where we're finding that we haven't inspected it and we're providing that interruption of like, hey, we can think about this a little bit differently. So we've had other topics that have been really popular. Porn was a really popular conversation. Like what's our entry point into porn? And like, is it okay to look at porn? What does our partners think about that? We've talked about agreements like both stated and unstated between partners. I love that. Mm -hmm. I've spoken about that before. What did you find? I found that sometimes I've brought up things that seem shocking and it's something that you've now listed and put out there, but we don't have to unpack that now. That's just something that in the future, like let's talk about it. Like bringing in multiple partners, wanting to explore more facets of my sexuality and just kind of laying it out there. It's not a right now, but yeah, the like, agreements. And, and what you're stating is huge because you're at least setting the container for this is an okay conversation to have. And that's it. And that's oftentimes with sexual health. We talked about this earlier. Like even in the sexual health realm, just putting that out there. I'm going to put this out there. It's okay to talk about it. Bring it up whenever you want and go from there. Right. Love that. One more topic that people found really interesting was on the topic of knowing what we want. So at the end of 2018, we held a discerning dick and we talked about if 2019 was your best intimate and sexual year ever, what would that look like for you? That's an amazing question. And so we literally had like goal setting. And I was a little bit against this idea at first. This was Dominic's idea. And I was against it at first because like, man, we're going to get a bunch of dudes in there. They're going to talk about threesomes. They're going to talk about how many blowjobs they're going to want to get and everything else. It's going to be very like masculine, very goal oriented. And it couldn't have been further from the truth. We had three guys come up on stage and talk about what they want. And there were tears Every single one of them. One guy, what he wanted was to be able to trust women. And he talked about the story as a young kid that he had a woman come up to him and tell him at a young age that she was going through something. She said, you know what? Never trust women. Like they're always going to stab you in the back. And he didn't realize until this exercise that we went through that he was operating in life like that. And so it's all these undiscovered patterns that we have that we don't even understand that's how we're operating. So it's shedding a light on that. That's beautiful. I think what's so great is like there's this notion of the boys club. It's always existed. It's very masculine. It's very goal oriented. You just said, and you're flipping that on its head. You're like, let's bring guys together and let's be emotional. Let's be vulnerable. Alex Fine, a mutual friend of ours said to me, if we're going to allow space for women to be sexual creatures, we need to allow space for men to be emotional and vulnerable creatures. It's so important. And you asked an earlier question about Growing up, like what's coming into guys' existence and what are they seeing and feeling? And certainly for me, there was an element of like emotions slow you down. Emotions are a liability, like get through it, fight through it, muscle through it, grind it out, right? These are all the words that we hear. Don't be a pussy, right? Another one. 
And over the last year, I've been part of a men's group that meets every Monday night. It's a group of eight guys. And the only purpose that we have in that men's group, and if you want, I can describe it, we do literally sit in a circle. There is literally a bit of a ritual involved with it where we have some breath work. We do a little bit of movement. And the only purpose of why we get together is to like practice feeling our feelings. What that means is that we're not into story mode. We're not into like, well, she did this to me and then this happened at work and da 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 Quite frankly, that shit's boring. To sit there and listen for two hours to other guys talk about their stories is fucking boring. But I tell you what's not boring. When they're talking about like what they're feeling right there in that moment, not what they're feeling yesterday or what they think they're going to feel tomorrow, what they want to feel, but what they're actually feeling right here in the moment and seeing them process, like where do they feel that in their body? And to see them go into the depths of that for two hours on Monday nights is exciting. And it's changed all of our lives because now that data, that information that we thought slowed us down, those emotions that made us feel like all wishy-washy, we can look at those as data points and we can make better decisions. Yes. And it's amazing. It's amazing. My old therapist was a holistic therapist and it was the first time that I was experiencing things and I just wanted to get some tools. And she would say, where do you feel this in your body? Right. You just mentioned that, which is so integral to understanding what is going on. Right. People coin things like I'm just so sad, right? But what is that? Where do you feel that? You know, you're like, oh, I feel that in my core. I actually think that's anxiety. I think you're peeling away layers, right? And that's so amazing to identify and label things. Yes. I love what you said, peeling back that layer. Because at first, it's just like that initial like, well, I think I should be sad. Now, so I'm sad. And when you sit there in silence and you've got seven other people looking at you and you just got your eyes closed and you're like, man, like, what is that really? What is that sadness? Like what? Oh, actually, it's coming from a place of rejection. And that's actually making me sad. This, this primary and secondary emotion that you can dive into. And then we can get to the root yes. of all of it. That is not easy. And it's completely linked to your sexual wellness as well, right? Completely. And like, that's the thing. The website that Dominic and I have is called doinnerwork.com. It has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with dicks. Because the core of it is that inner work. And if you would have told me three years ago even... Like, this is the key to sexual health. I would have laughed you out of the room. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Beam Health. What are you guys doing? What's this app? How do I get it? My biggest pain point right back in the day was not being able to talk about sex. And so what I wanted to do is create something that initiated that conversation, that allowed people to have a better conversation about it. And so when we talked to people and reflecting on my own history, it's like, well, you know, why don't I ask people? And we had a lot of fun with this. We went to bars and restaurants and parks and asked all kinds of people about how they interact with their partners when it comes to sexual health and heard great stories. And a lot of those stories said, well, and females in particular, like sometimes I don't ask guys because I think they're going to lie anyways. And so I don't even bother. Other women said, like, man, if a guy brings it up first, like, that's awesome because that never happens. What we wanted to do was create something that allowed for just a little bit better of an exchange. We've heard some people say, like, eh, especially guys, like, it's a pain in the ass getting to the doctor. Yeah, sometimes I worry about it, but it's not enough to like, take care of it. And so we said, great, let's make it easier. Let's give people proof and allow them to have that conversation. So what we did is we created an app where you get on the app, you video chat with the doctor, ask any kind of sexual health questions that you might have. This is nice because it's not just ordering a test. It's like a conversation you're having with a doctor and a lot of questions do come out there. Then you go get the test done. You can do that either at a local lab or at home. And then two to three days later, results come through your phone. And so you don't have to go clicking through a whole hospital's like chart and like, it's just super simple. 
the date that was tested, what you got tested for, is it positive, is it negative, and that's it. And then within the app, you can chat with a customer support and ask any other kind of questions that you might have. And then the whole reason we do any of that is just so we're more confident. We're more confident to have that conversation with a partner. And the suggestion that we give people is, look, congratulations, you got tested. That's great. Now, don't shove it in people's faces. Don't be super proud of it, even though you should be proud. And that's great. But instead of like asking your partner, have you been tested, share. Just take that first step. And the podcast that we run is called Man Amongst Men. And oftentimes we say, what is that? Like, what is a man amongst men? And one of those things is that guys initiate. Guys should initiate. And I'm talking about like heteronormative relationships right now. But guys can now get tested easily. They have no excuse. They don't have to go to the doctor anymore. They can do it from home. They can do it anytime they want. They can get tested and then feel confident in having that conversation. So that's what the app is now. You can also link with a partner in the app and get notified if you're at risk of having an STI. That's a bit of getting into the socialization of this. And I think there's a lot of other ways to do that. There's some dating apps out there that are starting to play around with the idea of saying, is this a safe conversation? If you're going to go on a Tinder date, for example, can I bring up sexual health? Is this something that my date is comfortable talking about or not? So I think that's a great step and something I see Beam getting involved with in the future. I really love this because when I've gotten tested in the past, I've just kind of had an OBGYN be like, well, if you get a call from me, you know you got something. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, thanks. Hopefully you won't call and otherwise I'm clear to go. Like I would love to get a And how how are you feeling in that that time period between when you get tested? So anxious. And how long until that anxiousness starts to go away? Just until I can sleep it off. <laughs> like, I don't know. Until you're like, I think I'm safe. I, I think, think I think, I'm safe. I think, yeah. Here's another thing, too. Why do you think we've kind of become so uncomfortable discussing our sexual health status? Oh, that's super easy. Because it puts us at risk. That's it. We feel like we're going to lose something. Whether that's someone or the moment. I can't tell you how many times people have said, like, well, it ruins the mood. It ruins the moment. I feel like that's the biggest thing. And maybe it's not even lose something. Maybe it's be identified with something. Oh, you're somebody that gets tested? Like, why? Who have you been with? How many partners have you had? And now we got a lot of questions to ask where it's just easier just to do it and not worry about it and hope and cross your fingers and wake up the next day with all kinds of anxiety. Like, oh my God, I should have used a condom. Like, shit happens all the time. It's almost like where action happens is when the pleasure outweighs the pain, right? I hadn't been tested until I was 30. Yeah. And I had been what I felt was totally fine. And so I didn't ask. So why would I ask now? Like, why would I bring that up? The pleasure is outweighing the pain. Yeah. And then it suddenly switches. Boom. I've had that happen to me many times. So you've been journaling, which I think is so cool. And you mm. share that with your audience. And I'd love for you to unpack that. But maybe we can also tie this into what does your sexual wellness routine look like? Because that's definitely part of routine. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the journaling. Tell me about what you do. So journaling is something I started doing close to a year ago. So I haven't been doing it that long. I had noticed a pattern. We're talking about patterns with discerning dick and the work that Dominic and I do. I've noticed a lot of patterns looking back. One of those is where I tend to make bad decisions. And when I looked at some decisions that didn't turn out the way I wanted them to, and I looked at why, I always had that gut feeling, even in the moment, where I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel quite right. But what I got really good at doing was overriding that with all the analytical and logical thought that was in my head. And whether it was immediate or whether it was like three years down the road, like there would be a blow up. And I'm like, why didn't I listen to that? Why didn't I listen to that thing that was in my gut that was telling me like, ooh, don't do this. And so I met somebody, his name is John O'Connor. 
And you can find him at guidingtheshift.com. Guiding the shift, not shit. And he's a coach. He does a lot of different type of work. He's really honed in on the men's work. And I said, John, I've noticed this pattern. And what I want to be able to do is like feel like what these things and not override them. And like not have to have the logic, document, decision, proof, like sort of thing. I just want to be able to feel it and flow and feel it and like make those decisions based on that, not based on what everything else is telling me. I said, can we work on that? And so we did. And we've been working on that for about the past year. And he mentioned one of the first things he mentioned was like, have you ever journaled? I said, no, why the hell would I do that? And he said, a lot of times things can come out in writing that don't come out in thought, that don't come out in speaking. And I was like, yeah, that's what I have time for, John. I have time for an extra 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it takes in the morning to do that, like no thanks. And so I didn't. And I didn't for several months. And something was happening in my life. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was like, yeah, maybe I should write this out. And so it just it started as simple as that. And what I've noticed in my journaling now, and I do this almost daily. I don't do it every single day, but it's pretty close. And what I've noticed now is that my first paragraph-ish of what I'm writing is a little bit bullshitty. It's a little bit like that first layer of like my story. And I can kind of feel it now where I'm like, oh, I'm not really getting into it. Like what is actually, like what is the real thing? And then like paragraph two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 12, whatever it may be, is like all the other stuff that starts to flow. Yes. And why that's so important, the main point, why that's so important is that there's been many days where that journaling changed the entire trajectory of that day. Like I had all these goals and priorities and things I had to get done. And then I realized, poof, all that shit, that really doesn't matter. My priorities over here. Specific example of that. Working for Beam, doing the Beam stuff. And I had legal stuff to get through. I had social media stuff to get through. I had partnership conversations to have. I had all this shit. The night before, I was at an event and I was listening to the CEO of Roman or Roe. They've got a couple products now, but they're mainly in the mail, essentially Viagra through an app. And he was talking about his team. And how awesome his team was, his designers and his developers and his co-founders and everything else. And I remember leaving there just thinking, like, man, like, that's really cool that he has a great team. And so in my journaling the next morning, what came up for me was like almost a sense of jealousy. I didn't want to admit that I was jealous, but I was a little bit jealous because my team hadn't gelled like that yet. And so what I realized as I started writing in the journal, like what was really important to me was to have that team and have that collaboration. It changed my entire day because all that other stuff that was on my plate didn't matter. I had to go find team members. I had to go find my tribe to do this thing with because that was actually what was important to me. And so journaling has become a tool for me to like really understand what I'm actually feeling and letting it flow. If I go more than two days without doing it, I can tell. I feel a little more chaotic. I feel a little more not on point. I've had like diaries since I was very young and it's so integral to me just mm -hmm. sorting through the clutter. So that's a great, I love that phrase. That's a great way to put it. It's something about putting pen to paper too that just oh, makes it different. It feels so good. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I wrote that? I don't know. If when you, when you go back? Oh. Like, oh, wow. I'm still working on what my go back strategy is. I know there's something in there that I haven't done yet, but I think that's something I want to do more of. I go back and look at like, where was I? And what was that date? And yeah. what was I feeling? It's yeah. pretty amazing to track that, like, especially in like a year, I usually always like write, you know, 2019 comes. I'm like, what is this year going to bring? And then just kind of to reflect on that. You know, I don't think we take a lot of time to find pride in ourselves and our accomplishments, whether that's at business goals, whether that's financial goals or whether that's personal development to reflect on that and be like I really really moved through that and I'm giving myself a huge hug totally right it's like awesome let's do it we can do it right now here we yeah. go there it is. oh there it is that's nice that's nice it's a good hug. <laughs> on the masculine side of it, if somebody would have told me to like write a diary or even journal before I would have had as like 
The yes. male, the masculine. I'd be like, why would I do that? I oh, you- I'm going to dive more into my feelings. Okay. Thanks. I don't have time for that. Yeah. For whatever reason. And journaling, for some reason, sounds better than diary, even though it's the exact same thing. Right. Okay. I say journaling too, though. Yeah. Feels more mature. Feels mature. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So what else in your sexual wellness routine? Masturbating. Let's talk about that. Because it used to be something I would do, let's call it twice a day. Sometimes more, sometimes less. This is going through high school, grade school. Oh, no. Well, maybe grade school. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) High school, college, and even after that. Now it's something that's very different for me. Before it was, and we did a discerning dick on this in terms of like, well, why is it that we masturbate? And not why is it like it feels good, like of course, but what is the triggers? And so what I did is a 10-day no masturbation challenge. So I went 10 days. The challenge was to write just really quickly, whenever I felt that urge to masturbate, like what was happening in that moment? And what I found is that when I wanted to avoid something, I work from home most of the time. And when I like, had to write an email to an investor that I wasn't particularly proud of or like it was a bit of a <laughs> thing I didn't so know how to do, it, all of a sudden my dick would magically get hard. And I'm like, wait, like what? This is when I get horny? I'm like, I would have yeah. thought it was like, not then. Yeah. But for me, it was a distraction. It was me avoiding a certain feeling that I was having. And all of a sudden, my dick, boom, would pop up, and then I could release it, and then I could maybe come back to the problem. Maybe not, and I'm totally more chill now. Right. And what I found was that that actually gave me a lot of power because I was doing this 10-day challenge, and I was like, well, I'm sorry, hard dick. You're going to have to go away now, and I'm going to finish banging out this email. And the energy that went into that email, let's say, in this case, was just like, bam, I just knocked it out. Boom, boom, boom. And I was getting a lot of shit done. It was wild. That's really cool. I was laughing so hard because they think that women have the same thing. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to go masturbate. Totally. Like, <laughs> we'll just do this later. Total, a total distraction. That is so funny. What I just recognized in that was like, okay, I do have patterns. Two, I've been really productive. Is that just a time thing? I'm just spending more time? Like, I don't spend that much time masturbating, but okay. Then I said, like, well, what if that was times 10? What if that was times 100? What could I really get done? And that's when I, for the first time in my life, realized that when people talk about this sexual energy being creative energy, it's actually not just bullshit esoteric stuff. It's real. And I know Dominic, he went through Sex Addicts Anonymous. He was in it for four years. And he went sex-free, masturbation-free for 11 months and porn-free, the whole shebang. And that's when he left his corporate job, went and started his own business and got a lot of shit done. And so going back to your question about the sexual health practices, now masturbating for me is like a thing. It's not just something I like pop off and do whenever a trigger happens to happen. But I'm like, yeah, I'm going to set aside some time. And you know what? Like maybe I'm going to shut off the porn, like make that go away and like use my imagination, which is kind of wild. And so I find it makes me more alive back in the day when it was two, three times a day. Like it would make me feel like relaxed and calm and chill, but also deadened a little bit numb. Now I feel like that there's this heightened sense. And then the last thing I'll say on this, and this is really big. If there's any guys listening, perk your ears up here. There's a book out there called The Multi-Orgasmic Man by Montauk Chia. And when I read this book a few years ago, I was pissed off at every single friend that had ever read that book before and didn't tell me. Because what was in that book was something magic. And here's what I learned. I learned that there's this concept that men, when they orgasm, they come. Boom, boom. It happens at the same time. That yep. is the same thing. And what I learned in this book is that it's not. Guys can actually orgasm without ejaculation. And it takes practice and breathing and time and understanding your body to do that. But when you do that, first of all, it's life-giving. You get more energized by it as opposed to feeling numb and dead. 
And two, when and if you do want to actually ejaculate, it is ridiculously amazing. <laughs> and in bed, you can work with your woman because you're not having to like just spout off at the first moment that you have to feel it. You can keep it in and you can kind of roll and have an amazing connection. Now, I will tell you, it's a bit of an old school book. The cover even looks kind of, and even the title is kind of like, meh, okay, fine. I like, don't totally have out on like with all my other business books. Right, right. I just kind of hidden a little bit. But man, the information in there, life changing. That's like orgasm enlightenment. As we're wrapping up here, what is your advice to men navigating their sexuality and their well-being? This is great. This is super simple. Find your fear. Where is it at? What comes up for you? Because it's probably there. You probably don't recognize it. It's not unconscious, but it's subconscious. It's not totally in the front of our brain, but it's like there. So like every time you feel that fear, whatever that is, talking to a woman, performance sort of stuff, whatever that is, health-related, I don't know what it is for you. Find that fear and just recognize it. Don't make it go away. Be like, oh, you're there. Like, why are you there? What are you there for? What's your purpose? Okay, cool. And just process, like work with that. Because as soon as we recognize it, we start making better decisions. Our confidence goes up, which is the key to everything. Find your fear. My fear, way back in the day, talking about sex. And like, see where I turned out from that. And I have all kinds of fears. A lot of my journaling is associated with that. But you do have them. If you're telling yourself you have no fears, you haven't gone deep enough. Fear is not a bad thing. It's just what we do with it. The number one advice I can give is find that fear and like play with it. Give Love yourself the space that. to do it. Really quick side tangent. I was listening to this story. This guy said that his fear was speaking to women. He was really anxious about it. He was like, I'm so bad at it. And he put himself on a challenge to speak to one woman a day for a year. By the end, he's like this womanizer. He was like, I literally 180. This is the coolest thing. I'm not here telling you to become a womanizer if that's not the intention, but just working on that comfortability. Yeah. And here's the beautiful part. I can even see some guy be like, well, hey, I found the fear and it was talking to women. And the idea of going to talk to a woman every single day is terrifying. That's okay. I'm totally cool with that because when we find that fear, we don't have to repress it. And be like, it's not there. It's not a big deal. And then it come out in wonky ways. We also don't have to express that fear a situation like that guy, for example, if he wasn't conscious of it and he did have to interact with a woman, who knows like what would have been coming out of his mouth because he's in a fear-based place. So we don't have to suppress it. We don't have to express it, but we can process it and play with it. And it's Ooh. in that play zone that we can come up with things like, you know what? Maybe I can just ask a woman on the street directions and that's all I need to do. Right. It's nothing more than that's that. That's it. Super simple. I love that. Yeah. Is there anything that you're working on that we have to look forward to? Ooh, some of this, I can't release all of it right now. Under wraps. Well, we're doing Stay a... Stay tuned. It's sold out already, but we're doing a men's retreat in Colorado, Dominic and I. Sweet. And it's really cool. It's a bunch of guys that are in a state, different states of their lives, but in the same state in that they're in a major transition mode. Some of those guys are ready for retirement. Some of those guys are ready to enter the workforce post-college. And so what we're doing is we're working through a lot of the stuff that we talked about on this podcast with them to help design the life that they want to live into. What does the next 10 years look like for them? And we do things like a death meditation where we lay them down and we have them visualize what their funeral looks like, which sounds morbid. It sounds like something, ooh, I don't want to think about that. But what it does, it gets really clear on what's important in our lives. After we do that, we'll have them write their own eulogy in whatever future year they think that they might pass away. And we get clear pen to paper on like what they want their family, their future family to say about them. And that's just a couple little things that we're doing, but how to design that next 10 years and feel totally pumped about it. And something Dominic often asks people is, when's the last time 
that you felt like a kid at Christmas, that you felt like you're anticipating this amazing thing that's going to happen in your life. And often guys are like, I don't know, I've been so like wrapped up in work and taking care of my family or my kids or my dog or my girlfriend, whatever it may be, that I haven't really thought about what I'm excited about. So we get to that exciting moment. What does an exciting life look like? I mentioned that this one is sold out, but we'll be having more. So take a look, do innerwork.com. Beamteam.com is a sexual health company that I run. But those are the major big things right now. Amazing. And where can we like connect with you and follow your work some more? Best place to get me is on Instagram. It's at Talking Nut. I'm thinking about changing that. But definitely for now, get me at Talking Nut on Instagram. Find me on Facebook and get me as B-R-Y-A-N-S-T-A-C-Y. I love that you invited me and you're inviting people into this conversation. We didn't hit the record button yet, but we talked about your why and why you're doing this. I think the words you said were, I want to create a place that's comfortable enough for like the kid and the mom to, be able to walk into a sex store and be like, okay, here's the lube and here's this and here's that. And it's like, not weird. Let's make it not weird. Let's make <laughs> that's it your not weird. Let's make it not weird. <laughs> Trademark that. <laughs> Trademark that. So thank you so much for what you're doing and, and inviting me here today. I had, a, I had a blast talking with this you. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe and of course, share with your friends. Thank you for listening.